0: Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Sam Shea. And Dr. Sam Shea has walked his own health and addiction journey stemming from a prolonged series of childhood betrayals by his school and community to overcome his 25-year addiction to video games, a 15-year addiction to sugar, as well as overcome his insomnia, gut problems, and a host of other health issues. Dr. Sam Shea now helps those who struggle with addiction, low-energy, gut issues, and high stress via his online teleclinic, which individualizes every client with functional nutrition, functional testing, and customized lifestyle plans. Dr. Shea is the creator of the Tame the Beast of Addiction Framework, a sugar addiction coach, gaming disorder coach, and gaming disorder ebook author, and creator of the 10 Pillars of Health Framework. And when I first asked Dr. Sam Shea to be a guest on the podcast, I invited him because of the great work he's done after healing from his own betrayals and helping others do the same. I had no idea that he was the son of Dr. Jonathan Shea, who was responsible for the discovery of something called moral injury. I remember reading about it during my PhD study, since moral injury is so closely related to betrayal. I feel like I got a double gift, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Here we go. I am so excited that we have Dr. Sam Shea today. When when I asked Sam to be on this podcast, I just knew him for his wonderful work, but it's almost like a double gift because not only is he going to be sharing what he's up to, but sharing just the incredible work of his father too. So welcome, Sam.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Debbie, for having me here. Um, it's the your the topic of betrayal is actually a really uh, close theme in, in not only my life personally, but also in my clinical life. But as you said, it's also generational because my father, um, my father, <clears throat> pardon me, my father's life work has been around PTSD and moral injury.
0: And, and, and- for everybody's sake, could, can you explain what moral injury is? Explain that to us.
1: Sure. So the background of it, so my father's name is Dr. Jonathan Shea. He's an MD and a PhD, and he, he's he's the one who's been credited with the term moral injury. And th- it's important to understand the difference between PTSD and moral injury because it relates to betrayal in a very close way. So it's easiest to understand PTSD first and then go to moral injury second. So PTSD Is the perpetuation of legitimate survival mechanisms into a non survival situation. So, for like PTSD, you can, it's like surviving when people were genuinely trying to hurt you uh, or worse. And PTSD has three main clusters of symptoms. But I mean, we're not going to go into like all the nuances, but this is coming directly from my father's work. The three main clusters for PTSD are hyper remembering like remembering this is what mortal danger looks like and you won't forget it. So this is the constant repetition of of the dangerous situation. The second cluster is the numbing and withdrawal, which is used as a resource sparing mechanism when you're in mortal danger. So you shut down everything that's not critical so you can have all the reserves you can for your own personal survival. And then the third cluster is hyper arousal, which is when you gather all your resources to meet mortal danger. Hmm. And the persistence of these three main clusters, uh, hyper-remembering, numbing, withdrawal, and hyperarousal the persistence of these three after the danger has passed, that's PTSD. Mm-hmm. And you know what,
0: is- Sam, I just want to stop you right there because it, so often... I think we assume that PTSD is sort of revert, reserved for the war vets, you know, like, like a car backfires and they're reminded of their time and yeah. work. Can you share how it can also be, some, be have to do with betrayal?
1: Okay, so so betrayal is actually the, – the thing is, is that PTSD and moral injury, which is more in the realm of betrayal, they frequently go together. So when I describe moral injury, you'll see how PTSD is woven into it. PTSD is not the same thing but they frequently happen together. So the betrayal piece comes in under moral injury because actually the, word, the definition of moral injury, according to my father, actually contains the word betrayal. In fact, it opens with the word betrayal. So the definition is uh, the betrayal of what's right in a high-stakes situation by someone in a real authority. Mm. Again, the definition of moral injury is the betrayal of what's right in a high stakes situation by someone in authority. So betrayal is when you have the, not only, it's, it's the loss of trust, where uh, if someone, if you're in a situation, like say a family member, like you're someone's married and then someone has an affair, that's a betrayal of what's right. What's right is defined culturally. And of what is praiseworthy and what is blameworthy. Like there's, there's not necessarily a universal code mm-hmm. of what's right because it's very culturally defined. And then there's, it fractals down to smaller and smaller units. Like there's the culture, then there's like city culture, and then there's neighborhood, and then there's families, and then there's between individuals and so on and so forth. But basically culture defines uh, what's right and then by someone in authority. Well, if if you're in a relationship and someone has an affair, that person is an authority figure within the context of the relationship. Like at least they have a a very real sense of influence over that relationship. Mm -hmm. So when someone is betrayed in that high stakes situation, like a marriage, by the other person who has authority, then there's a loss of trust. And trust is not sim- when you lose trust, it's not simply left with a vacuum. Um, it's left with uh, it, it's left with these worse things. like you've got um, a, an active uh, the, my father has described it as an expectancy of harm, exploitation, and humiliation. Mm. Those are the three things that he uses to describe the void that is filled when trust is betrayed.
0: And, you know, I just want to stop you there. Think about those words. Could you share those three words again? Sure. Because they are so physical.
1: The replace, the, they're replaced with the active expectancy of harm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: exploitation, and or humiliation, right? Harm, exploitation, and or, and humiliation.
0: That is a powerful punch.
1: Now, the the jargonish term has been paranoia, but that's not an operational definition. It's way more useful to use the term harm, exploitation, and humiliation. And that's what moral injury is. And it's predicated on betrayal. So when people are betrayed, and you can, and you can, people who feel betrayed, I mean, I can invite all our listeners to do that. Like you take. The behaviors, how your behavior has changed since the betrayal and slot it in, see if those behaviors slot into the expectancy of either harm, exploitation or humiliation.
0: Like, let's say hypervigilance, which is common. Can you explain where that would fit in? So,
1: So hypervigilance is, okay. this is where PTSD and moral injury can can be. Uh, have crossover, mm-hmm. so hypervigilance is a trait of PTSD like the like the, the uh, common example of, of a military vet doing perimeter checks uh, around the house even though they 're in a civilian setting. but hyper hypervigil- uh, that 's a form of hypervigilance as it relates to PTSD. Moral injury in hypervigilance is that when you have uh, betrayal, there's a there's a an arousal, there's a hyper-arousal. So the expectation of harm, exploitation, humiliation, you're going to be more naturally hyper-vigilant to preemptively prepare oneself for the expectancy of harm or exploitation or humiliation and how to respond to that. Now uh, we're repeating these words over and over again, but it's necessary because that's the actual operational, that's where it operationally defines in terms of what happens when you're betrayed. So the the vigilance is a really understandable mechanism, but it's not of, of of dealing with a betrayal. But it's not the only mechanism. There's actually four separate mechanisms when de- when that people use to cope with moral injury. I, I said cope, not treat, not mm. recover. So, and four- and I would just
0: like to I'd just like to insert this could be something like you re- repeatedly checking someone's phone. Right. Or or knowing, finding out where this person is or just always sort of looking over your shoulder in some way. Right. Just to make you know, because you're, you have that threat, that fear. Correct. And, mm-hmm. and when people constantly check, there's
1: you, you can, for example, the most common, most common example is, is Facebook stalking your ex and the fear of being humiliated of like. Oh, now all my friends know that they're now with this other person or, or look, they're smiling. They did, the, you know, they did that on purpose. I, now the whole, all of our common friends know, mm. or they're, or they're, you're checking to see if they're telling bad things about me, which is fear of harm, whether it's physical harm or reputational harm uh, or exploitation. Like, are they going to be saying things or try to manipulate me? or Are they going to engage in some sort of narcissistic destructive behavior that's going to, cause me a lot of emotional or financial grief or otherwise. And uh, the hypervigilance is, one of the behaviors would be constantly checking the the signals to getting, re- it's basically doing reconnaissance if we're talking about military applications. here. So you're getting is trying to tap into the sources of recon, uh, even if it's self-destructive, like if it's emotionally self-destructive to do that, like just taking up a lot of resources and occupying your time and certainly stressing you out. Mm.
0: Now you mentioned four, and I interrupted you. Four. No, no, that's fine. Oh, okay. Uh, four things that you were going to talk about.
1: Yeah, the four. Okay, so now these four come from, or three. Or let's say three came from my father's work. The fourth is is my add on, which I've discussed with him um, when I when I interviewed him, and and he was, uh, he, he in principle agreed with it, but he hadn't done any personal study on it. So basically, when someone has moral injury. They have a couple options. One is that they strike first. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had listeners here who, when they've been betrayed, then they just go on a war path, even though it may not seem like a war path, or at least it's a justifiable one. Mm-hmm. That's that's option one is to strike first. Option two is to hide mm-hmm. and to just totally withdraw and try to avoid the limelight, and or or, or just shell up like a like a turtle. Mm-hmm. The third option would be to become a brilliant and fluent liar wow. and try to manipulate everyone and everything around you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what that, if, if you look at that in a context of betrayal and, your, and the constant active expectancy of harm, exploitation, and humiliation, then lying becomes a useful yet destructive strategy to try to control people around you, to minimize the expectancy of harm, exploitation, humiliation.
0: Right. And you know what's common to all three of those? I just get this overwhelming sense of exhaustion. They they just yeah. seem so exhausting to keep up.
1: Yes, and and this is why you see um, people develop uh, energy disorders. When they're under tremendous amount of moral injury, or they're dealing with betrayal, so I see it in practice. So, like when I when I work with people who've got, um, you know, hi, you know hypothal- hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis dysfunction, or called HPA axis dysfunction, it's like they're not able to regulate their stress response anymore, and they either feel really jacked up. Mm-hmm. or they feel really tired all the time, or they have swings of energy up and down. Mm-hmm. So it affects the stress response system, like it's going to give at some point. And I mean, this there's there's kind of colloquial terms, you know, quote unquote, adrenal fatigue, which has been, uh, I think, better redefined according to literature as HPA axis dysfunction. But you you you're almost certainly going to be interviewing people who talk about um, "Quote adrenal fatigue," and, and just to contextualize it as the body's not able, the body's response to stress has become dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've written about, you know, adrenal fatigue and and talk about this HPA axis dysfunction. But basically, you're you're dead right. The 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 fatiguing nature usually comes after a state of hypervigilance. and mm-hmm. the. And especially if you are becoming a pathological liar in order to control for these three expectancies. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Mark Twain said it best, tell the truth, there's less to remember.
0: Mm. Right, right. (laughs) It's
1: it's very, very exhausting to keep up with everything. Now, to give a sense of where my father got this this insight, he was a a psychiatrist who was also a military and got involved in the military, but also was a classicist. So he studied... Uh, Homer's Iliad and Homer's Odyssey. His first book called Achilles in Vietnam, Combat Trauma and the Trials of Homecoming, is an actual step-by-step, the the story of Achilles is actually a step-by-step explanation of how the best quality moral character can have their character wrecked by moral injury. Mm. And then Odysseus in America, his second book, is about how leadership malpractice is the most common cause of betrayal, uh, especially amongst organizations. That the right. betrayal comes, because like, that definition of moral injury is the betrayal of what's right in a high stakes situation by someone in authority. Right. It's, it's, it's moral injury, especially in a military or an organizational sense, is leadership malpractice. And Odysseus is one of the best examples In in cultural history of the worst possible leader, and a pathological liar. Uh, Now we see him in the West, and he shows up. Oh, all these great adventures! Yeah, he left with six hundred men on his ships and came back with one himself. Donned no less than a half dozen disguises, and totally narcissistic and a pathological liar. So this is nothing new. Nothing (laughs) new. Homer, my father's conjecture, and he's and and is that the. The, there was no movies back then. So the, the great poems were used to transmit information to educate a population that almost everyone was a soldier or is a soldier at some point in their life on this is how you get screwed up and this is what bad leaders look like that mm. screw you up and get you killed.
0: Right. Wow. So tell us the fourth The fourth one is um,
1: so, this is my addition to it is when you experience moral injury, instead of striking first, hiding, or becoming a brilliant liar, is instead uh, attaching oneself to a person or an organization for protection. So, rounding people, so people who have experienced moral injury, like leech themselves onto organizations or people, you know, so this is the risk of people joining totalitarian movements Mm -hmm. or cults or, uh, specific branches of, of certain religions or whatever it may be where they feel that, um, I, I need protection from harm, exploitation, humiliation. So I'm going to subsume myself to this person or organization because they will provide the, um, walls around me.
0: So this isn't, this isn't like a support group or or to get any sort of confirmation that yes, this was wrong, what was done, and and we're here to help you. This is for a different reason.
1: No, this is totally, this is, this is not with the intention of dealing with the issues. It's with the intention of, I am going to merely protect myself under the wing of someone else, as opposed to dealing with the underlying moral injury
0: and really all four of them are the same in that there's no dealing. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So how does your personal story fit into this?
1: Uh, well, uh, the, when I was, when I was very young, uh, I was in, um, age six, my, my parents actually had a pretty ugly divorce and, uh, what happened was that my uh, my my parents were so consumed with each with each other's uh, blaming each other that my needs as a young child weren't uh, fully attended to so i went to a school where i experienced and it was a really quote unquote good school like a really really quote unquote good school but i still experienced a lot of physical and verbal and emotional violence mm. in the school and the betrayal of what's right was that the school itself touted um, human values and kindness and all the rest of it. So there was a culture, the culture of the school had verbally established that we treat each other nicely. Uh, And the, but by the people, and I was betrayed betrayal of what's right in a high stakes situation. So I'm a, I'm the second smallest kid in my class. I'm very kind of frail and flimsy And I'm scared. And there's bigger, uh, bigger boys who are hurting me. Uh, And my high stakes situation is like my physical, like, I thought I would, I thought I was in mortal danger. Mm -hmm. So that's the high stakes situation. Then there's the social stakes where I was maligned. And as like one of the least popular kids in the school, which sounds pretty kind of petty, you know, three decades later, but it hurts and and mm-hmm. we're social creatures. And if we feel marginalized socially, we are hardwired genetically as social creatures to feel that like that is genuinely life-threatening because it was life-threatening mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. You, you know, even now, like if you're socially marginalized, you're in danger, but especially as a hunter-gatherer, you're really in danger if you're marginalized. Mm. So so social marginalization is genuinely life-threatening. And, and, and it's those those internal hardwired mechanisms are still triggered that you feel is life-threatening.
0: Right, yeah,
1: go ahead. The betrayal of someone in authority, so we have the betrayal of what's right in a high stakes situation by someone in authority. So who's in authority? The teachers didn't do anything. The principal didn't do anything. The administrators do anything. My parents didn't do anything. And the community who's like, we were part of a community and my family knew all the parents of the kids. And so like the parents of those kids. So there's five separate people in
0: authority who did nothing. Now, do you remember where you, did you share what was going on? It, so, yes. And
1: I wasn't believed.
0: Okay. Okay. And what, what sort of response did you get?
1: Uh, the response I got uh, from my, my father at the time was you have to learn how to fight your own battles. And, and it took years for me to clarify where he's was coming from that, but he was talking about his own personal experience in school where he was subjected to bullying and he uh, felt victimized in his own way. And he thought that's what he should have. He should have had that mindset then. And he, tra- he tried to imbue that to me at my age, thinking that was the right thing to do because that's what he needed. But in reality, I needed way more than just a pep talk. I needed the skill sets. I needed martial arts. I needed. Uh, I needed... Uh, actual physical support and an intervention. Mm. So he was acting from his own projections of his own, what he was dealing with in his past. Uh, my mother just flat out didn't believe me; thought I was exaggerating, and um, actively tried to silence me at dinners when parents tried to ask me what it was how I was going at school, and I tried to tell the truth, mm-hmm. and the conversation was quickly diverted uh, or changed by her. Uh, and so and then the teachers, I, I have nothing to say about the teachers because I was kicked in the face in class with the teacher present and nothing was done. Oh, and that's wow. not the only instance. Nothing was done by the teachers, the administrations or the principals. So I, I have no idea what was going through there because they saw it.
0: So so as a young kid, you're, you're experiencing something like this. You go to the people who you you just believe will protect you and you don't feel that protection at all. So what do you do with all that?
1: Uh, I developed a strong addiction, uh, video games and sugar. And, and by the way, I just want to contextualize this around my, my parents. So I mean, right now, just but like my mother and I have the closest relationship we've ever had. We've talked a lot about what happened in the past. We have a really clear understanding of what happened, where, where she was at, where, and she agrees she's made a lot of mistakes and, and we're really, really close. And my mother and father are really, really close. Like they're <laughs> really dear friends now. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just want to contextualize that since this is a public forum mm-hmm. um, and like both my mother and father understand the errors that they did, the, what happened because they were dealing with the context of their divorce and, and blaming each other and blah, blah, blah. And, sure. and so this is what happens when parents get into, you know, uh, accusations uh, of each other is that the children are frequently caught in the crossfire. And this is why. It's so important if you as a parent feel you've been betrayed by the other parent, for God's sakes, don't weaponize your children against the other parent. For God's sakes. I mean, I'm not swearing, but I would. uh, like Don't blinking weaponize your children against the other parent.
0: Sam, I I have to stop you there. That is so huge because you see that all the time. what happened to me. Yeah, I mean and you, they,
1: they, they i mean, I'll give you an example, like like the, the issue of money. I mean, everyone can pretty much relate to that. To when those kids involved in a divorce, like they wrapped the issue of money around me like barbed wire and started hurling me back and forth at each other around the issue of money, hoping to cut the other. But all that happened is I was the one who get got sliced up. Right, right. You know, and and it's like don't don't weaponize your children because you're just going to end up with. A really traumatized child, which was what happened to me. And so I drowned my misery in a 25 year video game addiction and a 15 year sugar addiction. Mm. And uh, other kids, which I mean, I, I, I work with people who are addicted to, to other things, you know, I chose video games and sugar because uh, those were immediately at hand, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a space that was repeatable and. Uh, really easy to literally plug into. And I felt like I, I didn't have any social outlets because all because my, quote, friends, you know, in that mm-hmm. school were not really my friends, uh, particularly when they would turn around the next day and, and hurt me. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the only outlets that I had were to escape into video games and sugar.
0: Uh, you could and, see it where it's like relief and escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah
1: and some, some, you know, dopamine rush, you know, mm-hmm. some feelings of gratification in, in one's life when school is a war zone and the home is a war zone.
0: Right. Right. So, and of course, you know, if your parents knew better, they would do better. We've, we've all heard that, but it took, uh, the, the addiction then, uh, so you went the, the addiction route and w- did you realize when you were, when you were in it, why you were doing it? Uh, pretty
1: much, but I didn't know how to get out of it. I mean, except, uh, the only thing that I understood as a child was get good grades so I can get out of here. Because mm-hmm. I was, I was told, told the line that if you get really good grades, you can go to a good college and then you'll have a good job and then you'll have a good life. And so the only thing that I had my eye on the ball was just get good grades, numb out whenever there wasn't homework to do and just keep moving forward so I can get out of here. So that's, mm-hmm. that's how I survived. And the, the, the thing, and I knew that I was really stressed out, I was abundantly aware of it, but I had no other means as a child that I was aware of that my that in support for to actually deal with it. I mean, I tried, I mean, my mom did send me to um, a psychiatrist, but like my, my experience was like I would go and I would talk about how hard, it was at school, I mean, I would frequently feel worse after the end.
0: Mm,
1: so and that, that didn't help you. It's. I mean, this is one reason I got into mind-body medicine uh, was because I found other techniques that were able to incorporate the body, the physiology, the nutrition, and so forth and, and improve my sleep because I was also a severe insomniac from all of this to yeah. actually deal with the physiological mechanisms to improve my outlook, not just not just focus on stressful thoughts, which are critical, but there's more to dealing with uh, betrayal than just looking at stressful thoughts because there's a definite impact on the physical body. I mean, that's why I mean, that's why I, I, I created the frameworks that I did in order to help people, whether they're dealing with something like that's chronically unwell, or they're dealing with an addiction. Uh, and in almost all addictions I've come across um, have to do with some facet of moral injury, because right. they're not able to handle their stressful belief system, their stressful thoughts. And so they get thrown into this cycle uh, that keeps spinning around and round and around. So mm-hmm. th- to deal with to deal with moral injury is an actual holistic approach. It's not just dealing with the mind because the physical body... My father says it best, it's like, moral, uh, moral danger is interpreted as physical danger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Moral injury is interpreted by the body as physical attack. Wow.
0: Okay. So that it's through the body that, that you need to heal. And, and Sam, we're, we're going to have to bring you back, but I, I have to, because I, I really want to uh, give the listeners just a, just some, some inspiration and, and hope. I mean, you, you were able to absolutely heal from these addictions. So can you give mm-hmm. us just even the, the briefest sense of how you did it and what they can look forward to? And if, if you're okay with it, I would love to have you back to, to finish up our conversation.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to come back. So, th- the basic model is called "Tame the Beast of Addiction." So, B E A S T, and I can give links uh, so people can get like a worksheet, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they, they can they can they can download this a free worksheet. And sure, sure, go for it. Go through it all. So the B, all addictions have the same five steps. I've created a secular model. Uh, for addiction that incorporates the best of functional medicine. Uh, so B stands for believe a stressful thought. E stands for an emotional physical stress response from that, believing that stressful thought. The A in B stands for anesthetize oneself from, of the stressful emotions that you felt from, that you uh, experienced from believing the stressful thought. The S is the smolder in the consequences of the anest- anesthesia you chose in my case was sugar and video games. And then T is having terrible thoughts about the consequences. And if you B, believe those terrible thoughts, then you feel bad and want to numb out and you have more consequences. You have more terrible thoughts. And if you believe them, then you feel bad and you have more con- and you want to numb out. Mm-hmm. And it goes mm-hmm. round and round and round. So mm-hmm. believing a stressful thought can be just at the top. Uh, he, she hurt me. He, she betrayed me. There's not enough time. There's too much to do. I have to make a decision. The world is unsafe. The world is unfair. He, she doesn't love me. Uh, I'm bored. Those are stressful beliefs. Hmm. Emotion, the E, the emotional physical stress response can be anxiety, fear, outrage, uh, grief, uh, jealousy, anxiety, worry, etc. The anesthesias, I mean, just pick your vice, sugar, video games, alcohol, smoking, work, gambling, Game of Thrones, whatever your gig is. Mm-hmm. Smolder in the consequences. You can have societal consequences based on the your vice of choice, monetary consequences, occupational consequences, legal, domestic, health consequences, relationship consequences. And then the terrible thoughts are different from the original thoughts. That's real important. The terrible thoughts are, I'm no good. I'm a piece of X, Y, Z. I hurt my family, my career, my finances, my reputation, my job, my education. And you can believe those thoughts and then you can feel bad and numb out and have consequences. So it's really... You have to understand that, or I really want people to understand that the thoughts that originate, that initiate the addiction cycle, are not the same as the thoughts that perpetuate it. That's really important. Yeah.
0: I, and, 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 yeah, go ahead. The,
1: and the mechanisms to get out of those are you have to, for the belief, you have to have a system that identifies and uh, questions stressful thoughts. So, like uh, for example, I teach the work of Byron Katie, but there's uh, other techniques out there that help with that. For the emotional, physical stress response, you got to increase your resilience, which is where all the functional medicine comes in. Sleep, diet, exercise, toxic exposure, routines, gut health, hormone health, adrenals, et cetera. That's, mm-hmm. that's how to increase your resilience so you're not as vulnerable to reaching for a vice to numb out if you have a stressful thought. If your resilience is high, a stressful belief won't trigger you as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, to deal with the vice itself, you have to learn how you have to uh, remove, replace, and uh, reduce exposure. So knowing the people, places, time of day, and circumstances, you're most likely to reach for your vice. For the smolder uh, and your consequences, you have to look at what consequences have been done and then find the single smallest, easiest, most accomplished next step to reverse the damage from those consequences. And then if people are stuck in the terrible thoughts phase of I'm no good, I'm a piece of X, Y, Z, that's, that's, we have to reach out for help Mm. and, and get help from a clinician or a group or, uh, or, or some sort of mechanism or an online course or something to learn the skills of how to deal with and start to reverse the whole cycle as a whole.
0: Wow, Sam! I'm going to stop you there. That, I feel like that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have so uh, much, <laughs> so much to talk about. Will you come back and we can we can of pick course. this up and make a part two? Wonderful! Thank you so much. Well, tell us where uh, where we can find you for now.
1: Sure, uh, DrSamShay.com. D-R-S-A-M-S-H-A-Y.com. There, uh, the, the top of the fold is focused on video game disorder, but uh, but you can scroll down stuff talk about fatigue. Um my my addiction course, learning the work of Byron Katie, uh fatigue course and a couple other things as well. But that's the main place to get a hold of me.
0: Wonderful. Sam, thank you so much. You helped so many people, so many people with so many things, with the the little bit you shared, because I know you have a wealth of information and I just can't wait to have you back. Thank you thank so you. much. Thanks, Debbie. Wow, Dr. Shea really shed light on the damage that can be done when we're not conscious about how our behaviors impact those around us. We barely scratched the surface during our chat, and he's graciously agreed to come back and share more about what it takes to fully break an addiction, body, mind, and spirit. Dr. Shea has been so kind in offering everyone a discovery call to see if you're a match to his online functional approach. I'll have the link to schedule that in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash Podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. An unhealed betrayal or injustice can easily turn into an addiction if it's not addressed or healed. These things don't go away unless they're tended to, and when they are, there really is a way to get at it from the roots, to heal from it for good. If the pain of betrayal is keeping you sick, sad, and stuck, you may be struggling with post-betrayal syndrome, take the quiz and see at pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.